Well, we've been to the mountain. Now what? When Peter was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he said, let's just stay here. I like it here. It's a nice place. This is exciting. This is life. Let's just build some tents and make this our home. Is that how you feel about being on the mountain? Well, it's good to feel that way. It's good to have that desire when you're in the presence of God, when you experience His power, His presence, His purpose, His protection. You just want to continue that. That's good. But there's more than that. When the disciples were with Jesus, worshiping Him on the mountain, first He said, Come. He invited them to the mountain. Come. And they came to the mountain, and they worshiped Him. But then He said something else. He said, go. Don't just stay here. There's work to be done. And you need to take what you've learned, what you've experienced on the mountain, and you need to put that to use as you go forth from here. One of the most highly respected men in the country of Nepal is Sir Edmund Hillary. Why is he so respected? It is not because he was the first person to reach the peak of Mount Everest and come back alive. Nor is it because of what he did in the 15 or 20 minutes that he stayed up on that peak when he made his climb. That is not why he is so respected in the country of Nepal. The reason he is so respected is because of what he did after he came back down off the mountain. You see, Sir Edmund Hillary through the acknowledgments that he was given, the recognition, he became uh, quite a wealthy person. He became famous, he became wealthy. And in his experience in Nepal, he developed uh, a compassion for the poor people, those poor mountain people, and he developed a vision for helping those people. And he used much of his wealth to help those poor communities scattered throughout the foothills of the Himalayan mountains. Hillary built and ran 42 schools and hospitals and medical clinics in the mountainous region surrounding Mount Everest. He did not simply build them, but he also provided the funds to operate them. And not only did he finance them, he personally helped with the construction of those buildings. So he was very present in those communities. And that is why he is such a respected man. Not because of the heights that he reached or what he did when he was on the peak, but it's because of what he did when he came down off of the mountain and how he lived. Yesterday morning, yesterday morning we looked at the call to the mountain as a call to worship. Worship is not merely a 15-minute high something that you experience. It's not a weekend youth rally. It's not simply an experience. It's a lifestyle. It's what you do as you go forth from those moments. We've been to the mountain. What are we going to do? Let's look back at Matthew 28 again. This is the passage that we started in yesterday morning, and I'd like to conclude with this passage as well. Matthew 28, uh, the remaining, the uh, final verses of this passage. Yesterday, we looked at verses 16 and 17, the call to the mountain, 
and the experience of worshiping on the mountain. And now we'd like to look at the remaining three verses. The part that perhaps we tend to anticipate hearing from as we look at this passage. These are the last recorded events in the book of Matthew, the last recorded verse of Jesus. And we want to see what he had to say with us. We remember in verses 16 and 17 was the call to meet God on the mountain, the call to worship Him, and only those people who meet those requirements are the people who are then called to go forth and teach. I'd like to look at what I consider the four points of this passage. Uh, sometimes, you know, we look at an outline, go, teach, baptize, um, it's all things that we're supposed to do. But the first point I see here, as we look at our final session, final session, the title, Go Ye Therefore, All Power. This is what Jesus said. All Power. And I find this significant because he says, All Power is given to me. You know, you would expect Jesus sending forth his disciples to say, All Power is given unto you. But no, he says, all power is given onto me. Before he mentions anything about what they're supposed to do, he clarifies that, that I, Jesus, God, I am the source of power. Jesus expressing himself, not as a tiny baby born in Bethlehem, thank you. Not as the tiny child, small town growing up. But now, he is the risen Savior. He met Satan face to face. He conquered death. Death could not hold him. Sin could not destroy him. And even life itself could not contain him. He is the all-powerful Lord. All power is given unto me. Several years before this, Satan had led Jesus to a high mountain. And he offered him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, if you bow down to me and worship me, you can, I'll give you all these kingdoms. And now Jesus is standing on the mountain and he says, all power is mine. All power, all is mine. He has no equal. Is that the kind of person you would like to work under? A person of power? As we work in the field, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus, the source of our power. His power becomes available to us as we focus on Him. And then he says, because of this power, your responsibility now is to go forth from here into all the world. And we could spend a lot of time focusing on our responsibility to evangelize, to share the gospel, to share the mission. I'm just giving this to you as a brief challenge here. Because of Christ's power, his burning desire is that his power would be shown to would be shown to all nations as we go forth, wherever we go. He is not willing that any should perish. And next, all power, all nations, teaching them to observe all things. You know, sometimes we as Christians we tend to be a little bit apologetic for what we believe for our lifestyle. You are serving the king of all power. There is no reason why you need to be apologetic 
in what you have to say. There is no reason you need to be embarrassed. As you go forth to all nations, go without shame. Teach you all things of the gospel. Because of this power, there is nothing in the Bible we need to be ashamed of. Go forth. And then finally, he says, I will be with you all ways. Now, I really rearranged that word just a little bit to accent the word all. I uh, first remember uh, being impressed with this verse as I was studying it in Romanian. It says, I will be with you all the days in Romanian. And it still has that word all there. But he is going to be with us all the days. Now, as you look at these four points, I'd like you to notice what I call a sandwich here. A sandwich, you have two pieces of bread with something inside. Here, it starts with the power of God. It starts with God. And then he says, you go to all nations, teach them all things, and then he concludes with, I will be with you always. You see how it begins and it ends with God. And we are simply in the middle doing His will. We need to keep our focus on God. It's the power, all power, point D, and the presence, point D, He will be with us always. It's the power and the presence of God that make it possible for us to go into all the world and teach all things to all men who are around us. Jesus said, I will be with you all ways. <laughs> Come ye, let us go up into the mountain of the Lord, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his head. I'd like to just challenge you, especially as young people this morning in our, our final moments here, to consider the path that you're going to walk in life. As you walk in place, what is the path that you're going to choose? We receive a lot of um, influence, perhaps a lot of pressure to make good preparations for life. We hear a lot about planning, preparing for the future. You want to get a good education so that you can get a good job, so that you can earn lots of money, so that you can live in a nice house, so that you can retire early, and so that you can sit back and enjoy what's left of life. It's called the American dream. That's what everyone wants, right? Some people would say that it would be a disaster to reach the age of 60 or 70 and 80 and realize you have nothing left to live on and nothing left to enjoy life. I think there's a disaster that would be much greater than that. And that would be the disaster of reaching the final years of your life and realizing that you have made no eternal investment. You have accomplished nothing in your life that's going to endure eternity. Everything you've accomplished in life is going to disappear and you're going to have nothing left. Can you imagine coming to the end of life and realizing that from an eternal perspective, you have accomplished nothing. When I was a boy about, I think, eight or nine years old, I enjoyed playing in the sand. We had a sandbox, and we had some 
10 dollars police at the home that there that I paid with. And one day I got the idea that, you know, I should have a box, a small box inside my candy box to keep my toys in. And so I said something to my dad about it. I'd like to have a, a little box there for my toys in. And he thought that was a good idea. And he said, yeah, I'll, I'll help you make a box. The problem was, I did not have the patience to wait for my dad's timing. He was busy, he didn't have time to just drop everything he was doing at the moment, and he was busy with some other things. So I decided, I'm going to make a box. So I found some wood, I found a saw, I found a hammer and some nails, and I cut these pieces of wood, and I hammered them together, and at the end I ended up with a contraption that with a little bit of imagination you might be able to call a box. And I eventually showed it to my dad, and he looked at it, and he did not mind that I went ahead with it, that was fine with him. But then as he looked at it, see, the original plan was for him and I to make a box together. And he looked at it a little bit, and he said, just don't tell anybody that I helped you to build that box. You see, that box did not show my dad's level of workmanship. This level of workmanship far exceeded what was shown in that box. This morning, every one of us is like an eight or nine year old boy. And we have some visions of what we want to do in our life. We have some ideas of what we want to accomplish. And we may even talk to our father about it. We come to God and we tell him our, our dreams, our plans, and things we want to do. And we may even ask him to bless our plans. You know, bless me as I do this and as I do that. But then we run ahead because we don't have time to wait to see what his plans are. We don't have time to allow him to work his plans out in our life. And maybe we don't even think about what he is doing, what he wishes to accomplish. And we spend our lives trying to build up our dreams and our purposes, our financial empires, and we may accomplish them. We may feel we have accomplished a certain sense of accomplishment at the end of our lives. Can you imagine coming to the end of our life and looking back at the good job we had, the nice house we lived in, the business we built, our bank account, and all those things, looking at the popularity we gained, how popular we were, all the friends we had, and then standing before our Father with all of our accomplishments, and we stand there and look at them, and then he looks at you and he says, Child, just don't tell anybody that I helped you with that. Can you imagine the emptiness you would feel at that point? As you realize that in your father's eyes, all this effort were wasted. Because your workmanship did not support his workmanship. What a disappointment that would be. I think every one of us wants to be successful in life. No one really wants to fail. I'd like to ask you this morning, what is success? How do we measure success? We as man, we measure success by results. 
We like numbers. How do the numbers add up? What's the bottom line? What did we accomplish? How many goals did we meet? How much can we cross off our list? You see, we make the success by results. How does God make the success? He doesn't look at the results. God makes the success by faithfulness. If we are faithful to Him, if we walk in the path that He chooses for us, that is success. I'm going to look at the uh, example of Peter a bit. After Jesus' crucifixion, Peter was discouraged. You know, perhaps he was looking back in the last three years of his life, and perhaps he felt that they were wasted years. And he looked at his peers, those people that he used to go fishing with, and what they had accomplished in the last few years, perhaps he looked at how their, their business had grown. And in that moment, he looked at his fellow disciples and said, You know what? I'm going back to fishing. I'm going fishing. And he said, We're going. We're going. We're going fishing with you. So we went back to fishing. Back to the old ways. Back to what my peers are doing. Back to what everyone else is doing. They went out in the boat and they went fishing. They fished all night. I find it interesting that Peter could fish all night. Not too long before that, he couldn't stay awake one hour in the garden while his master was praying. But when he was fishing, he could fish all night. Was he successful that night? He did not catch any fish. And in the eyes of many fishermen, that was not success. He caught nothing. In the morning, Peter saw this man walking along the shore of the lake. He didn't know who this man was, but this man called out to him and wondered, do you have any fish? What an embarrassing question to answer. No, not a single fish. And then this man tells him to do a strange thing. He said, lift up your net and put him down on the other side of your boat. Now, Peter was a professional fisherman. I don't know why. He obeyed that word of advice because at that point he didn't recognize who was telling him to do that. It sounded like a pretty illogical thing to do, and I don't know why he did it, but he did it. And suddenly he discovered where all the fish were. They were all right there. He caught 153 fish in one swoop. Was Peter successful now? He was. He was very successful. But his success had nothing to do with the 153 fish that he caught. He was successful because he obeyed the words of his master. That is where his success lies, not in the number of fish he caught. He would have been just as successful if he would have cast the net on the other side, pulled it up, and there would have not been one fish in that net. His success would have been the same because he was faithful in doing what the master asked him to do. Man measures success by results. God measures success by faithfulness. I said I want to challenge you in the path that you walk. We hear a lot of people who enjoy talking about what they do in life. They, they may I say, take pride in their occupations, what they do. We may see a bumper sticker in the back of a pickup that says, proud to be a farmer. Somebody who's a builder, 
You know, they might go to the builder's shows and they're proud to present their project, product, what they can do. They take pride in their occupation. People hang signs out, advertising their business, trying to get people to come in. They want everyone to know what they're doing. I'd like to ask you the question, why don't we hear more people talking about the kingdom work that they're involved in? I've done this and this. It's, oh, well, we're too, we're too humble. We're too modest. We shouldn't be found. Well, there may be truth to that, but is there another issue that somehow we have this mentality that being involved in Christian work is somehow a second-rate job? That it's not really a real job? I've heard people make that comment. Uh, I know one young man who has been involved in missions most of his life. And I heard someone comment about that man and said, he doesn't know what it is to work. He doesn't know what it is to have a real job. And my response to that was, brother, do you know what it is like to go out there day after day and be involved in kingdom work? I think you don't know what it's like to work. Yeah, physical work, but that's actually pleasurable. Kingdom work can be too, but it's, it's work. Do we take effort? Do we take pride? Do we take joy in working for the Master? Are you going to follow Him in the path that He has chosen for you? I'm not saying by this that God will not call you to be a farmer or a builder or a nurse or a teacher or some other occupation, whatever it is. But every one of these occupations should be a means to an end, a means, a way of fulfilling God's purpose in your life. What better life can you imagine than worshiping God on the mountain and working in this field? You know, looking back at Jesus' promise, here where he said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. You know, if we look at a young child, sometimes a child is afraid of certain things. Maybe he's afraid to go out to the barn at nighttime after dark alone. He might be afraid to uh, be alone in the night in the dark. But if his father walks with him, suddenly all that child's fears are gone. If his dad says, I'll be with you here, hold my hand, let's walk out together, that child has nothing to fear. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 28. He thinks, I want you to go. Go into the world. Carry the gospel. Teach all things. And you start trembling in fear. And she says, but, but, but I'm afraid. I don't know what's going to happen. And then in verse 20, Jesus is saying, okay, I'll tell you what. Here, let me take your hand. I'll be with you. We're good together. Do you have anything to fear? Jesus, with all power, I'll be with you. A number of years ago, when I was living in Romania, I, I got a uh, case of hepatitis, which the doctor said was the worst case he had ever seen. He had ever seen. And there was a number of weeks in which I had absolutely no strength. I was extremely sick. And during those times, I spent my days on my back in bed. And uh, 
During my recovery from that time, I, my strength came back very slowly. It was processing months. And uh, at one point during that sickness, I had a dream one night that left a tremendous impression on me. I had lots of dreams. Some of them are quite humorous and meaningless, but this was a dream that really left an impression on me. And I'm sure I cannot vividly portray to you all that I saw in that dream, but I'm going to attempt to. In this dream, I was a tour guide for a group of tourists that was traveling in a bus. And I was in the front of the bus and, you know, pointing out aspects to this group of tourists that were driving along. And we were driving on a very narrow mountain road. And as we were driving down this road, on the one side of the road, it was almost straight up. And on the other side of the road, it was almost straight down, dropping down out of sight. And at that point, we stopped the bus. And I told the group of, of people in the bus, now this was all in my dream, so I had nothing to do with, with, uh, with this in actuality. But I told them, my intention at this point is to lead you on a hike down into this valley. And this trail is very steep. It just winds back and forth down this drop-off here. And it goes way down into a valley. And that valley at the bottom is absolutely the most beautiful, gorgeous place anywhere on this earth. There's a lake down there, and there are colors expressed down there that you have not seen in your life anywhere else. It's just such a place of absolute beauty. And that's where I want to lead you. But the problem was, just before we had reached that point, a heavy thunderstorm had gone through. A downpour. And this trail is just a narrow footpath. You had to walk single file and it just dropped off the side. It was pure mud. And I told the, the group of tourists there, I said, Now, I know that this path looks absolutely impossible to you, but I can promise you, I can guarantee you, somehow in my dream, I just knew this, that if you follow me single file, you will be able to reach that valley without one misstep, without one misstep. And when you get to the bottom, the beauty you see is just beyond your imagination. I said, however, I know that it looks impossible for, from this perspective. So I'm going to leave it up to you. If you choose to go, I will leave you there. If you choose not to go, I'll accept it, and we'll go on our way. And that was the end of the game. But I awoke from that with such a vivid impression that God was saying to me, Son, I have chosen a path for you that I am asking you to walk. And I know that this path looks impossible, so I am not insisting that you walk this path, but I am inviting you. The choice is yours. It's up to you. This morning, God is saying, I have a path chosen for you. Are you going to walk that path, or are you not? I don't consider myself much of a poet, but I attempted to capture the essence of that dream 
by putting it into a poem, and I'm going to share that with you. And I'm going to leave this with you as a challenge of God asking you, are you willing to walk with me? The title, Come Walk With Me. <clears throat> the path is deep into the veil, and dark and muddy too. The torrents fall, hard blows the gale, is not a pleasant view. I cannot see where this trail leads, this narrow curve to fight. I think it cannot be my need, it disappears from sight. My legs are weary, feet are tired. I do not wish to start. So sure I'll fall and become marred, I'm frightened in my heart. And then I hear my father say, in tones to calm and mild, mild, I see beyond the mud and clay, where you see not, my child. For when you reach the valley deep, such beauty you behold, the peace that in your, in your soul you reach cannot with words be told. The valley spread with lush green glades, the sun in splendor glows, the sky is fresh with glorious shades, a mortal seldom knows. The air is still, the water fine, reflecting trees inside. Upon this earth, you'll never find a nicer place to run. If you accept this path so wild and this dark lonesome trip, I'll hold your hand in mine, my child. I will not let you slip. I'll walk before you all the way, wherever you must go. I'll lead you safely through the crack. No mishap shall you know. And when we reach that glorious tale, you have not one regret. You'll be so glad you walked that trail for every trial you met. The choice is yours, he said to me. You may remain behind. I'll take your pick, whatever it is. You must make up your mind. I gaze into my father's eyes. I bow on bended knee. Can I such love as his defy? What will my answer be? Lord, I'll go with you all the way. Your will I can't define. Oh, let me never from you stray. I'll take your hand in mine. Oh, thank you, Lord, that I may choose to in your will recline. I know with you I cannot lose. Your pathway is divine. When I had that dream, I assumed that God was speaking to me about the sickness that I was going through at that period. I did not know the event that would take place that year. As it turned out, that year was the most difficult year I had in the mission field. And I think I would say it was the most difficult year I experienced in my life. There, there were hardships that I faced there that I, I never imagined I would face. And there were so many times as we were trying to work through these problems that seemed insurmountable. And there were times that I felt like giving up. I, I had reached my end. I had no more energy. And I, I told God, I've given it everything I have. I don't have anything more to give. As soon as I stay here, I may as well go home. And I think God was saying to me at that point, you know, you may. I understand. And if you want to go home, 
Now, you may. I'll accept that. But I'm really asking you to walk this path and walk it to the end. And the choice is yours. And I really felt that it was the commitment that I had made that carried me through that year. As God continued to ask, are you just willing to take, to place your hands in mine and walk with me? He says, if you promise to walk with me, I can promise you that I will be with you. I can promise you I will not let you slip. And I can promise you that you'll never be sorry. I'd like to ask the question, what about you? You have that choice. I said yesterday, God does not force anything out of you. To put yourself in the order like Isaac did is your decision. And today God is asking, are you willing to walk the path from here? After you meet me on the mountain, after you experience all these blessings, are you willing to walk the path that I have chosen for you? Are you willing to face the end in mind? You can walk out of this building and totally ignore God's call for your life. And he won't force anything from you. Or you can put your hand in his and walk with him. I would, um, I did not check into this earlier. Okay. Um, is the song fully surrendered or divine in the songbook? I'm sorry, I should have checked that with you earlier. If it is, I'd, I'd just like to sing that song. Fully surrendered, Lord divine, as an expression of our desire to follow Him. Four hundred ten. Four hundred ten. Um, open your song to that song book, and Satan, if you want to just start it there from from where you're sitting, and I would like to invite you. As we start singing, if this song expresses the desire of your heart, to just stand to your feet as you sing. This is not necessarily making a commitment. It's just simply saying that, yes, this is my desire. I do want to be fully surrendered to God. 410. Can you go ahead and start that page? And if this expresses your desire, just stand to your feet as we begin singing. 